Luke 9 and 23, you could probably quote this. He said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. Somebody say that word. Daily. Let him take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. Amen. If I'm going to be lost today, I want to be lost in him. Praise God. For the next few moments today, I want to preach to you. It's going to, it's going to be, uh, the title's going to sound interesting, but I'll try to make sense of it if I can before I'm done. I want to preach to you from this subject today, for want of a nail. For want of a nail, and you may be seated in Jesus' name. There's probably not a whole lot of you that realize that my wife, TJ, was uh, spent a good part of her life being raised in the East Coast of the United States in the state of Maine. Some time ago, I came across a historical account in a book that I was reading of uh, a very famous Maynard. Uh, his name was Joshua Chamberlain. Joshua Chamberlain became uh, quite a hero during the Civil War. He was a student of theology and uh, a professor of rhetoric, not a soldier at all. But when duty called, Chamberlain answered. The story said that he climbed to the ranks to become the colonel of the 20th Maine Volunteer Infantry Regiment in the Union Army. On July the 2nd, 1863, Chamberlain and his 300 soldier regiment were all that stood between the Confederates and certain defeat at the battlefield in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. At 2.30 p.m., the 15th and the 47th Alabama Infantry Regiments of the Confederate Army charged, but Chamberlain and his men held their ground. Then followed a second, third, fourth, and even a fifth charge. By the last charge, this was amazing to me, only 80 blues stood standing. Chamberlain himself was knocked down by a bullet that probably should have captured his innards and ripped his guts out. But it happened to hit his belt buckle. Knocked him flat on his back and when he stood up he realized that the thin piece of metal that held his britches up is what saved his life. It was his date with destiny. As he stood back up to his feet realizing that only a belt buckle and perhaps even the grace of God had saved his life. When Sergeant Tozer informed Chamberlain that there were no reinforcements coming, you're on your own, and every one of our soldiers have one round of ammunition left per soldier. Chamberlain knew that something was going to happen pretty quickly. So their lookout, which happened to be a young boy, was perched high in a tree on Little Round Top. He informed Colonel Chamberlain that the Confederates were forming the rank. The rational thing to do at that point, for me it sounds very rational anyhow, with no ammunition, no reinforcements, the best thing probably to do was just surrender. After all, the odds are against us. Why don't we just sit down and die right here because after all, 
I've done all that I can do, or have I really? It was at this moment that Chamberlain realized I'm not wired that way to sit here and just die. He made a defining decision and he turned the tide of the war and single-handedly saved the Union. In full view of the enemy, Chamberlain climbed onto their barricade of stones and he gave a command. He pointed his sword in their direction and he yelled to the top of his lungs, Charge! His men fixed bayonets and started running at the Confederate army which vastly outnumbered them. They caught them off guard by executing a good right wheel, if you would. And in what ranks as one of the most improbable victories in military history, 80 Union soldiers captured 4,000 Confederates in five minutes flat. And it all happened because somebody that had the odds stacked against them and nothing in their favor decided that I've come too far to just sit down right here and die this way. I've come on this Sunday morning with one mission in my mind. There's no doubt whatsoever that we're living in perilous times and that the enemy of our soul has used the tactic of hopelessness to make us feel one by one that we're fighting by ourselves and that there is no hope for us and that all things are against us. But I'm standing on the wall today to declare to somebody greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. I feel like reminding you today by the power of the Holy Ghost no weapon formed against you is going to prosper so there's a principle that we must learn in the kingdom of God and that is basically this that God's idea of relationship through Jesus Christ is actually the antithesis of what modern religion has painted the picture of relationship with Christ to be. The picture that's painted on a weekly basis in pulpits around the, the globe is very simply that He wants you to be happy. That whatever you have to do to find happiness, whatever you have to forsake, whoever you have to leave, whatever marriage you have to split up, whatever job you have to quit, whatever you have to do, just be happy. And the doctrine of happiness is absolutely destroying families. It's destroying lives. It's destroying livelihood. It's destroying people by the stats. Because they feel like God's idea for them is prosperity in the idea of whatever makes you happy, you have a right to be happy. The problem with that theology and ideology is that it, whatever makes you happy is probably going to hurt somebody else in the process of making you happy. So while you're happy, or at least you think that's what's going to make you happy, there are other people that are broken by the decisions that you're making. And I don't want to sound derogatory at all today. Please don't think that I'm trying to be ugly whatsoever. But I am tired of the enemy painting pictures for us of greener grass that grows in other pastures other than where God has us right now. And I'm crying out to somebody today that feels helpless and hopeless and like the only thing you can do is to take up your roots and go somewhere else and do something else. And I want to say this to you as kindly as I can. But for the love of God Almighty, plant your roots deep in the soil and do whatever you've got to do to stand. Yeah. 
Yes, you can find somebody that will preach an easier doctrine. But what good does it do us? It's in the same, very same chapter. Matter of fact, the very next verse, after what I read you this morning, that Jesus alludes to the idea, what does a man profit if he gains the whole world but he loses himself? And people are making decisions every day, losing themselves, trying to find themselves. And it's because they're finding themselves in things that God never intended for them to be in. They're trying to find it in relationship. There was an old song back in the day. And of course, I know it wasn't in the songbook, so we shouldn't even know the song. But the song said, looking for love in all the wrong places. I mean, not that I've ever heard the song. Maybe it played when I was in Walmart or something. I don't know. You can't help that, you know. I mean, sometimes people just play songs in restaurants and you have to deal with it. Looking for love in all the wrong places. If you only knew today the love of God, if you only knew how much He loved you. Oh God. I'm telling you today, it's a lie from the enemy that Calvary happened to make me happy. Calvary did not happen so that I could be happy. Calvary took place so that I could be free. And there is a vast difference in doing what makes my flesh happy and doing what makes me free. I have found in living for God that freedom is not found in choosing what I want to do and walking that path. True freedom is found in going back to the image in which I was created in. In the image of God and walking in that image. And realizing when my life grows contrary to that image that it's not God's punishment trying to get me to change my ways. But it is His grace and mercy that are leading me to be more like Him. No, I'm not perfect. And yes, I've got a long ways to go. But I'm standing before you today to tell you how grateful I am for for the mercy of God that reveals my shortcoming. I look back on being a child and I thank God I had a great childhood. I cut up about it a lot and talk about my mom beating me and all that. And I mean, she did, but it was a great childhood. She, and, you know, and, and I look at that and, and, and I, I'm about to get sidetracked for a minute, but I really think some of what I had a good dose of this society needs a, a really good dose of it. I'm so glad for mom and dad that kept their word. And if my dad said you're going to get it when you get home, he meant it. I'd like to walk into some of these schools right now and tell some of these kids, you're about to get it. <laughs> I'm serious. I know I'm probably treading on sacred ground, God forbid. I mean, who knows, maybe I'll be the next thing we cancel. God only knows. But I'm just telling you that I'm thankful, I'm very, very thankful that I was raised in a home that chastened me through love. I'm thankful. But this is the thing you, you, you've got you to know, and I'm just being honest with you. I didn't like it while it was happening. When the scripture said he chastens them that he loves, it never says this is going to be comfortable. We love, to, we love to preach about the power of the Lord, you know. We talk about that, about the power of the Lord and His arm being revealed. Unto whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? And, you know, we're like, when He, when he reveals His arm, that means revival. It's actually uh, quite the contrary. When He rolled up His sleeve, there's an interesting thought and idea behind this. Unto whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? It is said in tradition 
that the roll-up sleeve of a father disciplining his child was that every whack, if, if I could say that, is that politically correct? To give your kid a whack? That every whack that the child got, the father had rolled up his sleeve and he would give himself a whack on the arm to know that the burden I'm bearing today on my child, I feel that. And my mom used to say things to me like, this hurts me worse than it hurts you. And my thoughts at the time were, then let's trade places. But I, I realized, I thought she was a liar until the first time that my little girls looked at me with tears running down their faces and said, Daddy, please don't. No, Daddy, please, please, please. And in my heart, I'm saying, but I promised you I would. Oh, man, so I, I'm, I'm already preaching right here, and some of you are going to miss this because you think I'm teaching on child abuse. I'm going to tell you what I'm teaching on. I'm teaching on the fact that some of us feel like God is delighted when we realize how imperfect we are. That God looks at us and chastens us and it brings Him joy. I talked about this yesterday at our training. When people ask this question, you hear it all the time. It's a really good one to have in your arsenal when people look at you and say, Why do bad things happen to good people if God's so good? And what we all need to know is that it's, it has nothing to do with the goodness of God. It has to do with the choice that's made by humanity. This is the power of choice. I'm telling you today, this is going to sound heavy, and I know I risk right here being one of them old hellfire and brimstone preachers, but you hear me when I tell you today, I believe this with all of my heart, that any man or woman that spends eternity in hell, they had to walk by the grace of God to spend eternity there. Calvary happened so that there could be an escape for us from eternity in hell. I don't have to preach to you today about how hot hell is as long as I can tell you how powerful the love of God is. I want you to know today he loved you enough to die for your sin. We always... Look, and, I, and I'm all about preaching for eternity. I'm all about it. I, I, I was raised in a church age where when they preached about hell, your toes got hot while they preached. I mean, it was that real. It was that powerful. I, I, I remember feeling like the soles of my shoes were going to melt because they were preaching about hell so hot. But I think if I ever missed anything in my perspective of that, my focus became on how hot hell was and not how vast his love was. Is hell hot? You can't imagine. You can't, there's no way that we could ever imagine how long and how dark. Oh, God, how treacherous. I was just reading this week in the Word, and, and, and some of it came up in my study. And, and this is the thing I know about hell. This is the thing that I do know. There's a lot I don't know, but one of the things that I do know is I don't want to be there. But the thing that all of us need to know is you don't have to be. You don't have to be. 
You don't have to be lost today. You don't have to be hopeless today. You don't have to live the rest of your life broken today. You don't have to live your life away from the presence of God. I'm telling you, when you start letting him redesign the purposes of your life and you realize what brings you true happiness is not what makes your flesh happy, but what makes you truly happy is that you're pleasing the Lord. So, I was raised preaching so many years, I feel like somebody's about to get uncomfortable when I say this, but I was raised so many years preaching against compromise that compromise almost became a cuss word. It did. You can't compromise. There can't be any compromise in us. And then I got married. And I realize if you want to stay that way, <laughs> if compromise is a cuss word, you'll start cussing. <laughs> and it's not because she's terrible. It has nothing to do with my marriage being so imperfect that I just have to live my whole life compromising. But the longer that you love something, the more you realize this is not a 50-50 relationship. This is me giving a hundred and her giving a hundred. Come on, somebody. That's, that might be some of the best preaching I do all day right there. Anything in your life that's worth preserving the relationship with, you will live your life in compromise if you're going to have a relationship with what you love. And so we ask questions like, so you're saying that if I do that, then I'm going to hell. You're saying if I wear that, I'm going to hell. We're asking the wrong way. I, I, I don't even, I hate to even say things like this, but I got to use this as an analogy. I want to tell you, my wife, she's a pretty tough cookie. She told me some things when we first got married. Um, we have young ears here today. Most of our kids are, are in, in another service, but... Um, there was a story several, several years ago, and I, I don't want to throw a wet blanket on this, but if I said the name uh, of, of this story, some of you would know for sure, but it was a, a man that had cheated on his wife, and, and uh, she took a knife to him while he was asleep, and it made the news, and uh, like a Baptist nod would work right here just so you know what I'm talking about, and, and my wife informed me early on in our marriage that this will be the result of your life. <laughs> it will be. <laughs> I've been faithful. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm going to tell you something, and, and all jokes aside, I mean this sincerely. I don't believe, and please don't look at her when I say this. I don't believe sincerely that if I made a mistake, which I, I pray to God I never, I never do. I, I, I keep my heart and right, uh, my, my heart and life right with God. And, and I feel like in counseling, if we've learned anything, it's the teaching of Jesus as he puts a, a fence around the Torah. If a man looks on a woman 
he's already committed adultery. That doesn't mean he's committed adultery. It means that if you're willing to look that way, you'll probably walk that way. But understand me when I tell you that if I were to slip and make a mistake, it would not change the fact that my wife still loves me. We are, we are betrothed to the bridegroom. We're betrothed to him. And we are to be faithful to him. But you're looking at a cheater today. I've cheated on him. I've forsaken him. I, I, I've turned my back on him so many times. I've tried to walk faithful and found that my flesh was strong. I, I've done my, my best. I've, I've served God all my life, but I've made mistakes. And everybody in this room has made mistakes. But you understand me when I tell you that if you really love a thing, and I'm not talking about abuse, so don't you run off and, and twist words that are coming out of my mouth, okay? Don't, don't you dare twist what I'm saying to you today. But I can tell you this, if I made a mistake and my wife really loves me, she'd love me when the mistake was over. Now, I will interject right here that when somebody makes a mistake like that, they've either made a mistake or they've started a trend. And if you continually treat your spouse that way, it wasn't a mistake. You're a fool and, and, and you need your backside whooped we need to learn to be faithful and loyal and we need to learn to be honest but my whole point that I'm trying to make to you today is that just because I have felt the chastening hand of God in my life as his kindness leads me to repentance it doesn't mean that God hates me Conviction is not a sign that God hates me. But if that mistake has ever happened in my marriage, I ought to be able to sit down with my wife and hold her hands and look in her eyes and make her a promise. I will never do this again. I love you. I want this to work. Can I tell you today that the bridegroom is seated at the table of mercy today and he's taking you by the hand. The devil's tried to beat your brains out and make you believe you have made the ultimate sin and God will never receive you. But would you take mercy by the hand today and reckon let mercy reconcile you let, let mercy reach down to you And reconcile you to a relationship With God today Hey I've got good news for you today You're not the first person to fail God And you won't be the last person to fail God well, it's too late, Pastor St. Clair. I've done too much. I've made too many mistakes. I want everybody in the room right now to just take a big, deep breath. You're still savable. <laughs> There's breath in this body. I'm still breathing today. The hand of God is still on me today. You haven't outran mercy's outstretched hand. You haven't outran him. But at some point in your life, and I'm going to preach this to you right now, as straight as I can preach this to you, at some point in your life, you're going to have to come to grips with the idea that this marriage is going to be a match made in heaven. And if you're going to be married to him, you're going to have to take yourself off the market. This society has brought us to a weird place. I can start singing jingles that'll mess with people right now. 
You don't have to be lonely. Uh, come on. Somebody about said it. At FarmersOnly.com. You can tell who listens to the radio. So listen what this does. Society says if you're unhappy with yourself, there is a way that your wildest, craziest, weirdest, silliest, that's a nice word. I like that word. Silliest fantasy idea about what life should be can come to pass. If you hate the relationship that you're in, just go to FarmersOnly.com and there's a farmer out there somewhere. I promise to God there better be no traffic on your phone today. <laughs> Somebody's Googling that junk right now. It's real. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We are so funny. Because anything that you can imagine, somebody has presented that opportunity. It's, it's there. Whatever you want, you can have it. And you can have it right now. I remember just as, as a kid, maybe, uh, maybe I wasn't even a teenager. I mean, just like a really young kid. I remember when, uh, I hate to call them this because it's a sinful word, Brother Snow, but I remember when TV dinners became a thing. Think about this now. I'm not going to preach against TV dinners. God bless your soul today. Man, that guy preaches against fresh air. Let me tell you about, let me tell you about TV dinners. I want you to think about the concept, okay? I want you to think about the concept behind the name of a TV dinner. They've sustained me many times. You've never had Salisbury steak until you've had frozen corn and Salisbury steak from Aldi. I don't even know what's in the meat. Just don't ask. <laughs> We've had a bunch of them, Memo. I want you to think about TV dinner. What, what's the idea? The idea is you don't have to work on it all day. You don't have to invest in it all day. Sit and watch TV, and when you're done watching TV and you get hungry, go in there and put it in the microwave, then come back and sit down and watch TV while you're eating your TV dinner on a TV tray. <laughs> Am I right? What does it do? Okay, I'm going to paint a picture for you. I want to preach to some of you families right here. It's really hard to preach against TV anymore because it's like the least of our vices. It is. I mean, TV, is, is that even a thing anymore? I'm worried about these little devices we carry in our pockets. And every meal that we have, they're not TV dinners anymore. We have phone dinners. Back in the day, you had TV dinners and, and TV trays replaced the table. And so families didn't have to look at each other. They looked at a screen. Well, sometimes when I go into restaurants, I want to just walk up to tables and say, Sir, please, put that phone in your pocket. Please, these little kids want to talk to you. These children want to know that you're engaged in their lives. 
Listen, these things are, they're, they're, they're running our life. And here's the way it happened. Before, if you watch TV, and I, I mean, I grew up, I grew up with Leave It to Beaver and Andy. I, Andy was my buddy. I still like Andy. Man, we got to where we could whistle Andy Griffith in three-part harmony. It's true. I like it. But I want to, I, I want to tell you something. We have no downtime in our world. None. We have no downtime at all. We don't look each other in the eye. We don't talk about difficult things anymore. Woo. Maybe I'll get to preach about miracles a little bit later. That's easier. I like that part. God is trying to bring us together as the family of God again to understand that our world is so full of distractions. Is it any wonder? Man, I'm fixing to preach on something that's going to make some people uncomfortable. We're a TV generation, uh, TV meal generation people, TV dinner generation of people. To where men of God will download a month's worth of sermons. Oh boy. Pretty sure I just heard a rat licking ice. It's so quiet in here. They're like, we don't have time. To put our face in the carpet anymore. We don't have time to push away from the carpet. Uh, to push away from the table anymore. And fast for a few. We don't have time for that anymore. And we come to the table. And it's not about the little kids helping roll out the dough for the dumplings anymore. Oh no no. We're not going to get together and pray as a family anymore. We're going to pray in that 30 minute window before church starts. If we make it to that. And we're going to believe God that 30 minutes of prayer in the prayer room before church is going to shake our families and shake our city and shake this world with, with revival. And the Holy Ghost is weeping over here. I still feel the Holy Ghost as strong as I did when I started. God is drawing us to a deeper place. But we're never going to walk there by holding on to what keeps us happy and what makes us happy. And we're not going to get this with drive-through Christianity. And we're not going to be able to pull through and order three burritos and just go about our way in the Holy Ghost. Listen, Taco Bell and McDonald's will sustain you if you're traveling down the road. But anybody that's traveled at all, they can tell you after a while, you get sick of Mickey D's. After a while, you get sick of Taco Bell, and you want to go home and get some of Mama's good cooking. You want to go home and fire up the stove and get something that's going to help your little meatloaf that'll stick to your ribs. What are you preaching, Pastor? See, some of you just let me preach right on past it, and you didn't even realize what I was doing. Some of us have pulled up to the window of live streaming. We're like, all right, feed me, man of God. I'm not going to tell you what I was just watching on this phone, but now I'm going to watch you preach. Woo! I'm not going to tell you what else has passed over the speakers of this device and over my headphones today, but I want to hear some good preaching right now that will soothe me and at least let me know I'm close enough to maybe make it in when the trumpet sounds. 
You're looking at a boy today that cares nothing about sliding through the pearly gates at the last second. I want to come running in with victory in my mouth. I want to come running in saying, I've been waiting on this day. I've been preparing for this day. At some point serving God, you're going to get uncomfortable. You're going to have to preach without the lights that you're used to preaching with. When our platform stage lights aren't working and people online are squinting trying to figure out what we're doing while we're in darkness. It's kind of funny. You follow any feed, people start talking about it. We got these lights in church. I don't know what we're doing, all these lights in church. Well, this is what it looks like without them. I saw, I saw a post this week online, one of our apostolic churches. They put a picture of a little girl singing. And, 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 and uh, the, the post said, the full, uh, all the fullness of the God has in him. They, they were singing this all in him. And, and they, they had this picture of the girl. And everybody on the feed started commenting about the, the pink lights that they saw on the wall behind the girl singing. I'm like, this is the picture-perfect idea of our generation. Yes, I mean, honest to God, if a pink light bothers you that much, please don't forget, it's all in him. It's, it's not about our lights. It's not about, well, we don't need all that. I, I don't have fog machines in here, but the Lord had one in Tabernacle in the Wilderness. And I've been in youth conferences just like that, where the smoke got so heavy the priest couldn't minister. Been choking on smoke machine on the platform. And you know what? All the people that sat with their arms crossed said, I don't like this. That's all right. Don't like it. But 15 got the Holy Ghost. I want to please God. I don't want to get caught up in the foolish distractions of this age. It's all in Him. Somebody say that. It's all in Him. It ain't in me. I'm glad. I'm thankful God lets me shepherd this church. But I'm really glad. It's not up to me whether or not you're saved. And if I ever start preaching something that's going to make you lost, you got my permission to get up and get out. If I ever preach anything besides truth in here, I hope the next Sunday this place is empty. I do. I don't want your faith in, in, in me for your salvation. It's all in Him. It's all in Him. So this week I was rolling around how I would preach, and, and, and I feel the call daily in my life. I do. I feel it, and I know it when I haven't been in prayer. I, I, I know when I haven't been with God like I need to be, and I feel that call to die. I feel that call to come to Him and walk deeper. I feel that call. I've been missing you, son. Where are you at? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get to you, and I feel the Lord knocking on my heart. And, and uh, I, I didn't really want to preach. You know, self-denial is not one of my favorite things in the world to preach. Because you have to practice what you preach. And I was thinking about self-denial and how we approach this deal. And I started thinking about this, this leader. And, and sometimes I feel, I, I, I feel kind of like, uh, like the old colonel that I was reading to you about this morning, Chamberlain. Uh, sometimes I feel like I step up here on Sunday. And when I look over your heads, I see all the odds against us. I, I'm being honest. If you turn on three and a half minutes of news, it's like three and a half minutes too much. And I, I turn on the news, driving down the road, and try to listen to 
Patriot Radio or something, and it's like, well, this state is shutting this down, and this state's demanding this, and I'm like, oh, my God. And I feel my faith shut down, and I feel anxiety rising up, and I'm looking up, and I'm like, what in the world are we going to do? And I feel that little push in the Holy Ghost saying, charge. Charge. I hear that voice of doubt saying, back down. And I hear that voice saying, charge. I feel that little nudge pulling saying, son, this is against you. You shouldn't be doing it. And I feel that little boost in the Holy Ghost saying, get up and preach. Get up and preach. Get up and go. Open up them doors, son. If they show up, they show up. If they don't, they don't. You got to charge. Can I tell you what I love about this story? What was it I told you in five minutes? They captured 4,000 men. You know what I love about this story? It's a beautiful picture of the end time church. We got to quit griping and whining about what the majority is doing and realizing victory's not going to come through the majority. Victory's going to come through the remnant that takes a stand and declares we're not sitting down. Tell somebody close to you this morning, you're going to make it. Yeah, but, 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 but I don't have this, and I don't, I don't have a wife, and I don't have a husband, and I don't have blah, 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 I don't have the job, I don't have the house I want. Hey, you're going to make it. I'm telling you folks right now, I'd rather, I would rather go to heaven single than I would to be lost over fretting over something like that. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to spend my life so worried about what I don't have. I stood over in the corner of the prayer room this morning, and I couldn't think of one bad thing to say. I just started thanking God. Thank you for my blessings. Thank you for my health. Thank you for my children. Thank you for this church. Thank you, God, for what you're going to do here today. Listen, we got to change our perspective. When you stand up on that wall and it looks like all the odds are against you, you got to get something in your spirit that says, I've already denied my flesh. Charge! Who could imagine that 80 Union soldiers would capture 4,000 Confederates in five minutes flat? I'll tell you who couldn't believe it. When it was all said and done, the enemy couldn't believe that we just got captured by 80 men. I can't wait for the day that the angel of the Lord takes that great chain. And starts binding up the accuser of the brethren. God have mercy. That gives me chills up and down my spine right there. I'm telling you folks, we're going to be there and we're going to see it happen. We're going to be there and we're going to see it happen. I know you feel like that all of these people that are trying to silence the church are truly the majority in this world. But you start figuring out, you're going to realize they're 2, 3, and 4% of our entire society. God has a majority in the body of Christ. And we're going to stand one day and watch that lion dragon be cast into the bottomless pit. But if you're going to be there for that, it's going to be because you were intentional about it. It's going to be because you made up in your mind. I'm going to be in the house of the Lord every time the doors are open. Somebody shout amen or oh me. I'm preaching to you today. For want of a nail. 
There's an old proverb that goes kind of like this. For the want of a nail, the shoe was lost. For the want of a shoe, the horse was lost. For the want of a horse, the rider was lost. For the want of a rider, the message was lost. For the want of a message, the battle was lost. For the want of a battle, the kingdom was lost. And it was all for the want of a horseshoe nail. Did you follow me on that? Somebody said, this is the last horseshoe nail I've got. So I'm going to keep it for me. I don't want to run out of nails. But who could imagine that because they were selfish with the nail, that the entire kingdom was overturned? My God have mercy. Because I want what keeps me happy. I'll keep my nail. But if I keep the nail, then I can't put, the, put it in the shoe. And if I don't, if I don't want to give up my horseshoe, then I can't put it on the horse. And if I don't have a horse, then I can't have a rider. And if I don't have a rider, then I can't have the messenger. And if I can't have the messenger, we're going to lose the battle. Are you picking up what I'm putting down this morning? It's the small things that matter. It's a made-up mind on a Sunday morning. I know everybody here would like to have a good, beautiful, sunshiny Sunday to cast that bobber or lure out there in the water. But can you imagine? Your kids are lost because you wanted the nail. Am I helping anybody here right now? Yeah, Pastor, that, 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 I don't like that. That, that kind of stings a little bit. I started thinking about this this morning. God, what is it that I've been withholding from you? What is it that I have not denied myself about this morning, Father, that's keeping us as the body from moving where we should be? Story after story, history's replete. Well, God doesn't need men to do his job. Ask Jonah. I, 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 I'm not a Nineveh kind of guy. I don't really want to go to Nineveh. So let me just keep the message and I'll get on my own boat and go do my own thing. And it was the mariners in which he was with that were about to perish. Think about this. The men on the boat that he was with were about to perish because he was out of the will of God. How many people around us today are, are at the point of perishing because we're wanting to hold on to that nail. For the want of a nail. For the want of holding this for me. I refuse to give in. And let the will of God be done in my life. I'm calling for somebody in this house this morning. That's been holding on to that one little part that you think is insignificant. What could God do with my nail? Listen, the whole kingdom was hinged on a nail. What could God do? In his kingdom. If somebody would awaken to the senses today. That what I have may seem insignificant to others. But in the hands of God. We can win this if we all pull together. I hate it when the enemy tries to 
steal our, our thoughts right now. The Holy Ghost is trying to move in here. We're going to push through this. I want to tell you something today. The Holy Ghost is reaching for you. The Holy Ghost is reaching in this house for somebody that's been withholding from God and saying, but what, 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 what if? What, what if I just keep this for me? What if I just hold this for me? And for the want of a nail today, you're going to walk out of here and miss the will of God in your life. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes right now. If the music would please come. The call of the Spirit in this hour is not the call of the modern TV evangelist that says, See how many houses God can give you and how many cars God can give you if you'll sow $1,000 into this ministry. The call of God in this hour is give me all you've got and trust me with it. Give me your life. Lay your family at my feet. Everything you have, lay it at my feet. It's the call to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That all these things would be added to us. For the want of a nail, somebody in this house today could quite possibly walk out of this building. Leaving the greatest revival that you've ever seen in your life. Because of what you withheld from God. But if you're in this place today and you're willing to give God everything in your life, withholding nothing, I would encourage you, as moved on by the Holy Ghost today, as we all stand to our feet, to make a step by faith and say, God, this is not about me today. This is not about what's in it for me. But I surrender everything I have to you. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all.